Hi, welcome to the next episode of Living on Purpose with me, Yaffa Palti. This is actually the first time I am pre-recording this because I am not home right now and I am not going to be available at the time that this has to air, so I'm going to pre-record right now and I'm happy that all of you are joining me. This is part two of our two-part series on love. The first one was last week. It was pre-Tubav. Um, it was a couple days before Tubav, and that's what inspired the idea of love. But of course, this message is forever, and it does not have to specifically apply to the holiday of Tubav. So we're going to continue on right now. I would suggest you listen to the first podcast right before this one so that you can get a clearer idea of what we're talking about. Um, basically, we started talking about love. We asked what love is. Can you deliberately love someone or does it just happen to you? Are you a victim or are you a creator of love? And then, of course, we looked into the Torah to see the source of love. And we, by doing that, we came across two different Rashis that seem that say the same idea but they actually are are worded in the opposite way, which seems very interesting. And the first is about the Egyptians when they were chasing after the Jews. Uh, Rashi says about them, they were like they were like one heart with one heart, like one person. And then very shortly after that, the Jewish people when they were standing by Har Sinai, ready to receive the Torah, Rashi says about them, they were they were like one person with one heart. So we started discussing why the difference over here they were these are both scenarios in which there was a group of people that were referred to in the singular form both times they united together for something so the first time is that the egyptians united together because they had the same desire it was the heart that led them to the unity. They had the same desire. They both wanted to kill the Jews. It wasn't that they they loved each other so they united. They both had the same desire, and that desire is what united them. It was dependent on something. The second time with the Jewish people, they were united. Ki'ish achad bilev achad. They were like one person. They first were united, and then they had the same desire through that unity. And that really is the difference over here. Um, we were talking about the two different types of unity. We said the first one was a merge. Um, again, listen to last week's podcast to understand this more in depth. Um, uh, you know, what a merge relationship is. And I think we ended with talking about, um, we said, Kola Ava Badavar. This is a Mishnah Empirical Avos that all love that's dependent on a selfish desire. Batel um, Hadavar, the thing that I desired is gone. Batel Ava, so the love is gone too. Right? If the love is dependent on something, as soon as that thing is no longer there, the love is gone. And that's, that was what the Egyptian love was all about. Um, somebody, we find someone else who could provide the goods. That's it. I don't need you anymore. Okay? So that was the first type of love. And now I wanted to talk. Oh, and then um, I'm trying to remember where we ended off. All right, we spoke about focusing on the true how to love somebody is focusing on their virtues, focusing on their strengths and defining them by those strengths and not focusing on their weaknesses. My weaknesses are between me and Hashem. 
my husband's weaknesses are between him and Hashem. They're, it's not our place to focus on them. It's our place to build them up through their strengths. And likewise, it's their place to build us up through, through our strengths. And this is how we actually create, help them build their confidence to, an, to a level that they're going to actually want to work on their weaknesses because they're going to be feeling so good about themselves. But meanwhile, it creates a love and respect with us. Okay, I think that was pretty much the summary of part one. Now let's head on to part two. How long was that? Four minutes, not bad. Okay. Um, so now the second part, I'm going to call it like this, okay? Now all of that is great and wonderful. The fact that we have a choice, we can choose to focus on the virtues or the shortcomings, we can choose to focus on their strengths or on their weaknesses, but there's still more, okay? How practically do we actually create that love? So we said one way, now let's talk about something else. And I'm going to start off with an example, okay? You just got married. Um, okay, it was like a couple who just got married and they go on their honeymoon. They go, they're off to Timbuktu and they get to a hotel. Now it's, you know, things are not necessarily going as planned. Maybe there's a little bit of a mess up in their, um, with their itinerary and they don't have such great experiences. You know, I don't know, somebody steals their money. They go to a hotel, the travel agent made a mistake instead of the Waldorf, they're at the Holiday Inn and uh, they get to their room. And again, you know, not much of a, um, not much to see there. And there's a broken window and here's how it's going to work. Um, they have been informed by the service provider over there, that if they close the window, the window will stay closed. They won't be able to open it again. But if they leave it open, it will remain open all night. Like there's no way that this window's just not working. There's no way that they can open it and close it as they desire. So this, the, so he said to them, what do you want to do with this window? Should I leave it open or should I leave it closed? Now, in this particular instance, the husband is always um, hot and the wife is always cold. Um, okay. I'm, I'm really cliching this over here because actually in my situation, I'm always the one who's extra hot. My husband is not necessarily cold, but I'm always the one who needs more air. I'm always the one who gets too hot. But I think in most cases, usually the, the husband is a little, you know, feels warmer. The wife feels colder. So he technically would want the window to remain open. But he knows that she wants the window closed. Uh, but again, they just got married. He doesn't want to like sound like he's so righteous. And he doesn't want to like tell her straight out on oh, closing the window for you. So he says, okay, he says to the guy, the service provider over there in the, in the I was going to say hotel, but motel, I guess. What is a holiday in? Um, okay, you know what? Let's shut the window. And she's like, oh, why do you want to shut the window? I thought, you know, you're going to feel warm. It's like, oh, no mosquitoes, you know, makes up an excuse, right? Um, but of course she figures out that he shut the window for her. Now, how does she feel when she realizes that he just made this sacrifice and he closes the window all night for her? Now, if she's healthy, if she is emotionally healthy, she is going to feel two things. Number one, Gratitude, really tremendous gratitude for what he did. Wow, that's so thoughtful of him. That's so sensitive. That's so sweet. And the second thing she's going to feel is the necessity for reciprocation. Now she wants to give back to him. 
which means maybe the next night she'll sacrifice something else for him because now she wants to give back. Here's the thing. People say all the time, I'm sure you you hear this constantly, that love is about giving. Now that's true. I'm not going to say it's not true, but I'm going to say that it's even more than just giving because there are two types of giving. Number one, there's giving when I don't lose much, right? For example, if I have enough food for two people and I invite you to come eat with me, I'm still giving. It's really, really nice of me to invite you over. But technically, there's enough food for both of us. So I'm not really losing much by this kind of giving. Then there's a second kind of giving where when I give to you, when I don't have enough and I might remain a bit hungry, I invite you to come eat with me, but really I just have enough for myself. I'm giving away half my meal, right? That's the second type of giving. I want to call that giving in. Not just giving, but giving in. Being able to let go of some of my wants, some of my desires for you. That is the greatest expression of love and that is the greatest creator of love because that's when I that's when I am saying that you are truly as important to me as I am to myself. Giving in is the next layer, the next level of giving. It's like like my heart is full of my desires because naturally that's who we are and it's full of my wants and of my needs and of course we all want them fulfilled and something wrong with fulfilling our our desires right we want to be comfortable we don't want to be too hot or too cold we want good food we want to be with people that we like these are all needs and desires that we have but the moment i give up one of those desires for you for example you know maybe i don't like my husband's family too much. This is just an example, by the way. I love them. Um, but again, that that's a choice too. It's a choice to love them, right? Um, by focusing on their good. So let's say, you know, your, your spouse, you don't like, you don't like your spouse's brother that much, okay? But it's family and it's important to you. So of course we're going to go to them for Pesach, of course, we're going to go to them for whatever, right? Because it's important to you. And that is another definition of love. If it's important to you, it's important to me. And I'm sure we can understand this kind, this idea of love on so many different levels when it comes to our spouses. One example, as I just said, right? If it's important to you, even if I don't want to do it right now, I'm going to do it. It's going to become important to me. And this is something that It's very important for us to transfer over to our children as well. Again, by the way, all all of this kind of love, we're discussing it within a marriage because that's the ultimate loving relationship that we have between people in this world. But there are other relationships of love that need to be worked on also. And, And one of those relationships is between parents and children. And this is something we can... And we can and should work on in our relationship with our children also, right? Uh, for example, one of my sons, he is super into Lego, 
Okay, super. I never even knew that there were different types of Legos. I honestly used to think that there were just a bunch of little squares. Some of them had four little round dots and some had six little round dots, you know. But there's like a whole Lego world out there that I knew nothing about. Um, And I learned about it. There are names for the different Lego people. And I just had to learn so much about Lego. Do I care about Lego? (laughs) I couldn't care less about Lego, right? Um, The only time I care about it I give it any thought at all is when I step on it by mistake and I am barefoot and then I can't stop thinking about it for the next week as I limp. But, um, but I, I couldn't, I don't care about Lego. It's no interest to me, but now I do. I learned about Lego because it's important to him. So it's important to me. That's how love works. So when I give in to something that's hard for me. It's a sacrifice. Or I give up on one of my own desires for you. It's as if I am creating a space in my heart. I'm getting rid of a specific selfish desire and I'm replacing it with a person. I'm replacing that personal desire with you, putting you in my place, right? My spouse, whoever it is. If I do this often, then my heart won't be full of my own selfish desires anymore, but it's going to be filled with our desires as a couple because you are as important to me as I am to me. So your happiness and well-being is as important to me as my own. Why? Now here's the key to understand. Because I cannot be okay if you are not okay. That's really the idea. If I cannot be okay, if you're not okay. So your heart is full of your desires. When you give in, it's as if you remove one of those desires and create a space. And that space gets filled up by another person. Then my heart is full of my desires as well as your desires. Okay. Does this make sense? (laughs) As if you can answer. Okay. Um, All right. Now, Let's get back to the desire of reciprocity that we said before. Like when suddenly she realizes that he gave in for her. Now now she wants to pay him back somehow because this is how the cycle of giving works. So once she realizes what he did for her, she's going to want to do something for him next time. So this is, again, this is what creates that virtuous cycle that ends in a place called paradise. Because when our struggle isn't how to fulfill our own selfish desires at the expense of another, but it's to fulfill each other's desires, even at the expense of ourselves, then that creates true unity. That is how the Torah defines marriage at the very beginning of creation. What does the Torah tell us? al Kain Yazov ish Et aviv ve'et imo ve'dabak be'ishto. Right, you know these words, right? Ve'hayu le'basar echad. These are very famous words in the beginning of creation. Not only the importance, here, here, here's what we need to understand, okay? Not only is it important to step away from your family and create a new nucleus, which is what we're learning from this. He has to leave his parents, he has to leave their home, and he has to attach himself to his wife. So first of all, the importance, again, as we said, of stepping away from your family and creating a new nucleus, 
But essentially what the Torah is saying is that they shall become one being. They have to become one being. This is what we have to do. This is what we're supposed to do. So now, of course, the question is, how do you attain that? How can two human beings possibly become one? Two people who come from different places, maybe even different cultures. Two people with different opinions and different ideas and different likes and dislikes. How can they become one? So this is the process. Now we understand it a little more by focusing on the person's virtues, by focusing on their strengths and by defining them by those strengths, by their goodness, by willing to give up for the object of our love. That is how you achieve true unity. You see, people ask me all the time, what if I don't have um, you know, too much, I don't have any, enough let's use the word enough, in common with my husband. How can this marriage work? We don't have anything in common. He likes this and I like that. We have different tastes in so many things. We have different ways of, of understanding fun and of having a good time, right? We just have so many differences. And I hear these things very, very often, these kind of questions. Um, so a few things about this. First of all, you don't have to have too many things in common. All you need to do is focus on the goodness in the person, right? Love doesn't come from something as shallow as the same taste in music or you both like uh, Indian food, so hey, you must be soulmates. It's so much deeper than that. You see, the way soulmates work in Judaism, we don't, we don't, you know, uh, see someone from across the room and our eyes just lock and we know we're meant to be together, okay? We don't just find small, shallow things that we both enjoy and decide that we're soulmates. It doesn't work that way. Relationships are so much deeper than that. They're so much deeper. And here's the thing. We don't believe in marrying our soulmates, I know, right? You need to hear the end of this sentence quickly. Don't stop listening now, please. We don't believe that we marry our soulmates because when we marry them, they are not yet our soulmates. In Judaism, we believe in creating our soulmates. I married him and therefore I will turn him into my soulmate. That's the process of soulmates in Judaism. Right, We turn them into our soulmates and we do that by focusing on their soul, on their goodness, on their character, on who they are, on their strengths. That's how we are able to create, to have our soulmate, to know that we married our soulmates. Okay, We build it like that. Um, so that's the first thing uh, about this idea of not everything's in common. I was about to say the second thing. What else did I, did I want to say about this? Now I just forgot. Oh, part of the part of the issue with that is, and I again, I hear this all the time. Um, we just don't have enough in common. We just don't have enough in common. We just don't have enough in common. So the more you tell yourself that, the more you're going to focus on the things you don't have in common. If you wake up every morning and you constantly tell yourself the first thing you say when you wake up and the last thing you say before you go to bed and how many other times in between during the day, oh, he's so different than me. Oh, we have nothing in common. Why would he react that way? Why is it? 
you're so focused on the negative, that's all you're going to see and that is what's going to cause resentment between you two. It's not going to enhance your love and there's no reason for it. Of course you have differences. You're two different people coming from two completely different places in life. Of course you're going to have differences. If we focus on what we have in common instead of the differences or focus on what they're good at, because by the way, you do have things in common. You do have things in common, right? So if we focus on those and we focus on their goodness and on their strengths, we will come to loving them. We might not even notice our differences anymore because they're so unimportant. They're so insignificant in the bigger picture of life. You see, relationships have to be deeper than that. They can't be shallow. And again, these are things I hear all the time. A woman came to me recently um, and she was really upset. She said, I don't know what to do. My youngest child just left the house, um, went off to college, and now it's just my husband and I. And we sit there on the couch at night, just the two of us, and we have nothing to say to each other anymore. We have nothing to talk about. And it is get, it's, it's just awkward and it's frightening because I'm married to this man for 30 years. How could we have nothing to talk about? And I get these kind of questions. This was one specific woman and other people, and other people who got divorced after 30, 35 years of marriage for similar reasons. We have nothing to talk about anymore. Um, very recently, I was with somebody who um, also was is struggling in her relationship and also, and this is a, they're just married a few years and she is constantly second guessing her decision to have married him. They have one baby together and she's very, very focused on their differences. But in addition to that, she, I have noticed that the only thing that this couple talks about is their baby. That's it. Their entire marriage revolves around their baby. And I'm mentioning this because I asked this woman who came to me to tell me that her youngest child left the house and they're just sitting there and with nothing to talk about. I said, for all these years of your marriage, was your, were your children the main focus of your marriage? She said, absolutely, of course they were. I said, is that really, that, like, really that's just all you spoke about? It was all, yeah, it was just all about what this kid needs, what that kid needs, this child, that child. Of course, my children, our children are our life. Of course, they're the focus on our marriage. And here's what I want you to understand. Okay, this is so important. Our children, yes, they are our lives. And yes, they are so important. And yes, we need to talk about them. But your marriage came first. You're, you were first married. You were first a spouse. And then you were a parent. And our marriages always come before the children. If your entire relationship is about your children, then there really is no relationship that's more than that. And when there's no more children left to take care of at home, there's no relationship anymore. And I told this young couple, I said, you need to have a deeper relationship. It can't just be revolved around your children. It can't. It has to be more than that. When it's just revolving around our children, then we don't have, we don't build our marriage. We're just two people living together, raising children. 
So this is something that you really, really need to understand. And I hope I can express this um, as clearly and as properly as I want to. But there is no relationship that's more important than the one with your spouse, even your children. Okay, so try to carve out time. That's what I would practically, what I would um, suggest. Carve out time when you go, you know, have date nights. Date nights are so important. You have, and if you can't, if you don't want to spend money, and if you can't spend on babysitting, you don't want to, you don't have to go out, first of all. You can stay in and have date night because what does date night mean? Date night means talk about everything that is not related to children, related to finances, related to any stresses within your marriage. Talk about things that you would have spoken about when you were dating. That's date night. Just laugh together. Enjoy each other's company. Talk about ideas. Talk about goals. And this is where I want to bring in something that is extremely important. You can do this at any stage in your marriage, but this is essential to a healthy, thriving relationship and marriage. You see, when you start a business, I don't think anybody would start a business and expect to be successful without having a mission statement. You can't. You can't. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing. You don't even know why you're doing it. You cannot be successful in business without a mission statement. So I'm wondering, how do we expect to be successful in marriage without a mission statement? How can we just jump into this this relationship that's the most important relationship in life, right, ever, without knowing what we're doing. Why? Why am I marrying this person? What do I want from my life? What do I want from our marriage? What do I want individually to accomplish in life? What's my dream? What's my goal? What's my vision? And collectively, together, what do we want to accomplish as a couple? And this, we have, you have to have an actual mission statement. Sit down together, write it out, go over it. You can go over it every week if you want. You can go over it every month. You can go over it every year. My husband and I go over our mission statement every year before Rosh Hashanah. That's what we do. And then we, we fix it up a little bit throughout the year too. Every, every year things change. Things come up. There have to be um, adjustments and reassessments, reevaluations. But every year before Rosh Hashanah, we take out a, a fresh, clean piece of paper and a pen and we rewrite our mission statement. This is something so vital. It's critical to a healthy marriage. So you can do this at any stage in your marriage. If you're not married yet, do this before you get married. You have to know what is your goal. And you have to have similar goals. You don't have to have a lot of things in common. You don't have to like the same music. And you don't have to like the same kind of um, vacations or outings or food. But you do have to make sure that you have similar goals and visions in life because that is what your mission statement is going to be. Otherwise, you cannot have a successful relationship and, and successful growth. Okay? Um, so, okay, so let's get back to, oh, so we were speaking about um, that they have to be like one. So this we said is the process um, 
being able to focus on and define them by their goodness and what's important to them is important to you. And okay, so this is how we achieve true unity. Um, Once you achieve that, by the way, once you achieve that unity, that true proper unity, that connection, that goal, that mission statement, that giving up, that giving in for each other, then what you've achieved is even greater than that because you have achieved the fact that you are never alone. We, we, remember we said last week that um, one of the greatest tragedies of somebody who just spent their entire lives only loving themselves and never really being able to love another person is that they really will always be alone in life. And that is the saddest, most tragic way to live. So when you can learn how to truly love another person, truly unite with another person, you've achieved the greatest gift, the greatest blessing. Because true companionship is the greatest blessing in the world and the greatest gift in life. So now let's get back to the Jews by Harsinai. What happened over there? We said they were ke'ish echad belev echad. They were like one person but with one heart, with one desire. Because their submission to Hashem allowed them to break out of the pattern of selfishness. And once they broke out, they were looking above and beyond. They were not focused on their own wants and needs. There was something so much bigger than them. They were able to rise above it, so much bigger than their own little selves. And once that happened, once they rose above it and broke out of that pattern, a naturally deep bond was created between them and each other. Because once each of them was able to transcend and to break out of their own selfishness, they entered into a state of altruism. And that state of altruism is what, is what allowed them to bond with each other. Right? It was no longer about them and their small little selves and their little needs and desires. And because they were bonded... Again, let's get back to the Mishnah, the original Mishnah that we said, Kol hadavar badavar. Every, the end, Oh, because I didn't tell you the end of that Mishnah. I'm sorry. We said the beginning of the Mishnah in Perkevos was that, was that love that's dependent on something, as soon as that thing, that something that love was dependent on is gone, the love also is no longer there. So now the end of the Mishnah is, Kol hadavar badavar. Anything that is not, and if I love you, not dependent on anything. I love you just because I love you. That's it. Not dependent on anything. Unconditional. What's the end of the Mishnah? So falahit kayim. It's eternal. That is the kind of love that lasts forever. If you love someone for the, for the authentic virtues that they have, those almost never cease to be there because you're loving them for who they really are, for their character. Those things don't fade. Remember uh, last week we said how other things can fade. Other things can go away. If you marry somebody for an external reason, for somebody's beauty, just their physical beauty, that's the reason. Or for somebody's money, those things don't last forever. So as soon as they're not providing those goods for you anymore, 
you'll look elsewhere. There's somebody else who can provide those goods if that's what you need. Right? That's the Egyptian form of love. We have the same desires, so we, we can unite because of those desires. But those desires are finite. They're not going to last forever. So then our unity won't last forever either. And the love that we thought was there was never actually love for the other person. It was love for ourselves. And they were the ones who were able to provide us with goods and reasons to be able to continue loving ourselves. So that, that is the additional kind of love. Then we have the Jewish love, which is we are united together because there is a greater force. There's something so much bigger and so much more powerful than just little me. Over here at Harsinai, they subjugated themselves to Hashem. They said Hashem's will is more important than my will, more important than your will. So we're united under the subjugation of Hashem, this, this submission of something greater than themselves. And this is something we need to understand. It's, this is just, again, it's critical, not just to relationships, but to our functionality in this world in the first place. Because so often we emphasize the importance of me, how important I am and my feelings. And we put such a strong emphasis on me that we actually become narcissistic. Everything is just about me. And again, it's my own desires and my own feelings. Life and the world is so much bigger than just little me and getting upset at these little things, right? If, you, if we really understood the power of the world and the power of love and connections and relationships and how big they are and how huge and massive these powers are in the world, would I really be getting that upset when someone takes my parking spot, right? Or if what little, little thing doesn't go my way, like, the world is so much bigger than just little, little tiny me and my corner of the world, my feelings that upset me, that offended me. We get, we're so sensitive today about, about our feelings and things trigger us so easily and things offend us so easily. Why does this happen? This happens because there's such a strong emphasis on self. There's such a strong emphasis on me. And unfortunately, um, many, a lot of modern day treatment for low self-esteem today is uh, to have more of an emphasis on the self, to have more of an emphasis on the me. And it doesn't work that way, right? The more, you're in, the more you think about how this makes you feel and the more you think about and focus on all the little details of you, the less you're actually going to be able to focus on another person and to love another person. And the real way to build up your self-esteem is not by focusing on yourself, not at all. When you focus on yourself, you become, you turn the whole world into you and everything starts revolving around you because your perspective of life is all about how things make you feel. And again, this is why we get offended so easily and, and why we get so sensitive to things and why we take things so personally. It's not about me. 
Life is so much bigger than me, right? And the way to really develop our self-esteem is to focus on another person. What can I give to them? Not what can I get from life? What can I give to life? I know we spoke about this briefly in another podcast that uh, today we're very focused on our on our rights. What's in it for me? What do I deserve? I deserve to be treated this way. I deserve to be loved. I deserve to have this. I deserve to have that without enough emphasis on my responsibility, right? My responsibility to the world, my responsibility to my relationships, I have to give to them. I have to give in. I have to give up. And that is how I really attain happiness. That's how I attain love. That's how I attain unity. And unity is, again, the greatest blessing in the world. So to achieve this, we have to be able to allow ourselves to step out of the me box, not to focus so much on myself, focus on another person. And in a healthy, rational relationship, everything we give will be reciprocated. You see, another mistake that that people... um, refer to in a marriage is they say marriage is 50 50 you have to give 50 and you have to get 50 right you give 50 he gives 50 everyone gives and gets 50 marriage is not 50 50 in fact divorce is 50 50 marriage is 100 now i'm not saying it's 100 100 because if i say marriage is 100 100 that means i have expectations of someone else to give 100 too And once I have expectations, I'm setting myself up for disappointment and resentment. Marriage is not 100-100. Marriage is 100. That means it's my choice and my decision to give 100 without expectation of being reciprocated and being given to at all. It's just me giving 100. That is marriage. That is a healthy giving and a healthy relationship. Now, in a, again, a healthy, rational, solid relationship, chances are very, very high that when you give 100, it will be reciprocated. And you will also be getting a lot. But we can't have that expectation. It's just about giving without the expectation of getting. Because again, my love cannot depend on someone else. If I am depending on my spouse to feel loved, or if I'm depending on my spouse for my happiness, I am going to be extremely disappointed because there is no one who can make me happy other than me. And if I depend on someone else for that happiness, if I depend on my spouse for that happiness, not only won't it happen, but it's not even fair to put that burden on their shoulders. Why is it fair? It's not their job. And if I depend on my spouse to make me feel loved, I will never feel loved. The love has to come from me. I need to know how to love myself first. And only once I love myself, then I can invite someone else in to share that love with me. And once I'm happy by myself, then I can invite someone else to share that happiness with me. You see, there's no such thing as a happy couple. 
there's no such thing. I'm sorry if you were expecting something. It is sometimes I actually start off my shell and bias classes with that sentence. I say, there's no such thing as a happy couple. And people are like, what? what? Really? This is why I came out? This is what I'm paying a babysitter for? <laughs> there's no such thing as a happy couple. And I'll explain why. Because in order to be a happy couple, what we need is two happy individuals. And once we have two happy individuals, they can then become a happy couple. You cannot be a happy couple if you can't be happy as an individual. And if you don't know how to love yourself for you, you won't be able to feel loved by your spouse either. You have to, you have to be able to love yourself First, and again, I may have said this in another podcast. I don't remember, but I am going to give you the definition now, my definition of self-love, because again, we don't really understand self-love. Self-love today has become narcissism. It has become all about me, all about um, my, again, my feelings. And and by the way, this, this can really be dangerous when everything revolves around my feelings. This can also, this can affect us um, emotionally. This can affect our relationships and this can also affect us spiritually. It can affect our relationship with Hashem. It can affect our relationship with the mitzvot because um, the mitzvot are not about feelings and Torah is not about feelings. Halacha is not about feelings, right? Um, it's so much more than that. Again, there's a much bigger picture in life. It's not just about what I feel like doing in this moment. Because if I, if, if mitzvahs, well, do I ever feel like giving 10% of my money away to tzedakah? No, I never do. Do I always feel like shutting off my phone for Shabbos? Sometimes I'm not in the mood. Sometimes I'm not ready. Do I ever, do I ever feel like dressing uh, tzenuah? When it's a thousand degrees outside, no, sometimes it's very hard and I don't want to. It's not about your feelings, right? Because if it were about our feelings, we wouldn't be doing most of the mitzvot. It's much, much deeper than that. It's so much more than that. Judaism is not about feelings. It's not about doing what feels good. Again, Again, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. There are three main driving forces of a person. There's the the heart, there is the ego, and there's the soul. And we don't always know which voice is talking to us. Is it the voice of my heart? Is it the voice of my ego? Or is it the voice of my soul? And we need to be able to differentiate those voices because if we listen too much to the heart or the ego, we're not going to be making the right choices in life because those are voices that only care about the here and now. Those are the voices that care about instant gratification. Those are voices that are telling us to pursue our lowest possible calling. When we listen to the voice of the soul, that's the voice of infinite pleasure. That's the voice that we want to be listening to. So how do we know which is which voice? So so self-love, again, the reason I want to make it clear is because it's not the kind of self-love that we understand today because unfortunately, the whole concept has been corrupted and self-love has turned into narcissism, but that isn't what it is. Self-love is so important if we understand how to do it. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is the same emphasis 
and the same process that we use to love another person, we need to also be using on ourselves. If I want to love my spouse, I have to choose to focus on his strengths and to define him by those strengths. If I want to love myself, I have to choose to focus on my strengths and define myself by those strengths. I cannot focus on my weaknesses either. It is the exact same process. Now, here's how we understand. I'm going to tell in one sentence. I'm just going to sum up the whole idea of self-love. Self-love is seeing yourself the way Hashem sees you. Hashem sees you as that beautiful, wonderful, powerful, holy, pure soul. You don't see it. We don't see it so clearly because we have filters blocking us from seeing that truth. Filters of negativity, of insecurity, of jealousy. And it makes it so unclear and we just don't see it the way we should. But if we would understand the way Hashem sees us, He focuses on our strengths. He focuses on our goodness. And He defines us by that goodness. And that's why He loves us no matter what. And we have to be able to see ourselves that way and define ourselves that way. That is what self-love is. It has nothing to do with taking a selfie. It has nothing to do with sitting and, and focusing for hours on your feelings. It has nothing to do with yoga and manicures. Although, don't get me wrong, those are great. They're great. They can be part of self-care. But that isn't what defines self-love. It's so much deeper than that. So again, I just wanted to re-emphasize how important it is to have a deeper relationship with ourselves, to have a deeper relationship with our spouses within our marriage, and to have a deeper relationship with Hashem. Because that's what it's all about. Again, the world is so much bigger than just little old me. So on that note, I wish everybody a beautiful night a beautiful week. Hopefully we will continue with the next episode next week. And thank you so much for listening. And I wish you all so much Hatzalacha within your relationships and within your marriage. And you should really all be able to feel that self-love and to be able to share that with your spouses, with your children, with your families, and to pass on that cycle, to build up that virtuous cycle of love and to pass that down to your children and yeah wish you so many blessings bye see you next week